Hello and welcome to another SPAC Insider podcast. I'm Nick Clayton, and this week my colleague Marlena Haddad and I will be speaking with James C. Foster, CEO of ZeroFox. ZeroFox entered into a $1.3 billion combination agreement with LNF Acquisition Corporation in December. It is a cybersecurity firm working to protect a mix of public and private sector clients from attacks on the external assets that are frequently not the focus of its competitors. We discuss how the Russia-Ukraine war has ushered in a new era of cybersecurity and what types of companies face the biggest threats in this new environment. LNF CEO Adam Gurchin also joins us to discuss the investment side of the cybersecurity sector as well as what attracted it to ZeroFox over the long term. Take a listen. Thanks so much for being on, Adam and Foster. You know, I'm, I'm especially happy to have you on at a time when cybersecurity could not be more relevant, just looking at the news. And so just to start off there, the U.S. government is a major client of yours, and you spent time at the Department of Defense, so obviously you know the scale of the risks. When geopolitical tensions are high like they are right now, just how much does that change what's on your plate? It, it changes things. It, it's sometimes hard to hard to quantify the level of change, but I can tell you right now what's happening between Russia and the Ukraine is different. It's different than the, the, the changes we've seen in the past. And maybe I'll give you one or two reasons and examples. About two weeks ago on a Saturday afternoon, the Ukrainian government, specifically the director of technology and digital transformation came out and asked the world for help. In essence, he crowdsourced cyber war efforts and said, look, I need help from around the world. And I'm going to go on Telegram and put out a wish list of ways that we need help from, from cyber arms around the world. And people took up arms. And it was it was a meaningful escalation towards Russia and towards uh, Russian sympathists around the world, where they were at that point getting attacked by, by people everywhere. There, there were really two efforts that, that, that happened because of this. One, uh, you had thousands and thousands and thousands of individuals around the world, is what the, the best estimates so right now, attacking a series of discrete and tactical initiatives on behalf of Ukraine and defending as well. But it also came with a cloak for any other IC in the world that wanted to jump behind that and operate uh, missions in the cyber warfare space and also work on initiatives could do so with cover now because the world was being crowdsourced to help. That specific set of events had never transpired before. And so we are weeks into now governments actively attacking other governments in cyber warfare and asking for common individuals for help. Cyber war has been around for the better part of two decades. We haven't seen crowdsourced cyber warfare ever before. Where it starts to change things is that there are so many organizations in the world today just asking for help, asking for guidance, not knowing what to do. And Nick, I, I live in a world where when bad things happen in the cyber world, it typically means good things for business. Yeah, I can imagine. And, and although this deal came about, or at least was initially announced long before you know these particular tensions broke out, Adam, it's something I'm sure was sort of on your radar. I mean, LNF you know, set out initially looking for targets in the governance, risk, and compliance technology space. And that's a fairly wide sector. But during your search, I mean, were you feeling pulled towards cybersecurity as, as current events occurred? Or was it really just Zero Fox that kind of jumped out while you're still in the wide view? Right. Well, look, it's a combination of both. I mean, it's an amazing brand and and asset. We're excited about the platform and the macro tailwinds behind it. But we really had a couple of thematic trends behind those four buckets, governance, risk, compliance, and legal of our main focus. It was the shift from analog to digital, you know, the proliferation of data and increasing number of mediums and surfaces where that data resides. And then just an increasingly burdensome regulatory environment and compliance regimes really across all these industries and geographies. And so like, I don't think you can actually have an asset more on point, both from a sector perspective and with those macro tailwinds behind it, like ZeroFox, especially in this combination with IDX. 
And clearly the IDX contract first came because of a separate state actor in China. And so to Foster's point, it's a complex world. It seems to be only getting more and more complex. And the fact that they focused entirely on the external portion of cybersecurity, that's really where the future is. And we're excited to see what they can do with it. And Foster, Zero Fox is not your first software company. So what did you learn from your previous experience founding Siphon? Yeah, for all of you listening on podcast, I, I got a lot of gray hair through these uh, through these years and through these different cybersecurity companies. No, it's not my first. I've been in the cybersecurity space before it was ever called cyber. Back in the late 90s, we referred to this as computer security or network security when I was working for the government. Post Y2K, I moved around and did, uh, did a few startups that ended up being acquired. Uh, they were acquired by the likes of VeriSign, McAfee, and, and KKR. And at that point, you kind of saw a transition from network security and data security centric messaging to cybersecurity, which is what you see today. I think lessons learned when I look at uh, Siphon into ZeroFox is uh, speed and scale. We've achieved speed and scale at ZeroFox that is unique to my career. And I think the opportunity in front of us is unique for a lot of reasons. One, uh, ZeroFox has coined the category that we operate in today. External cybersecurity is a really important space in cybersecurity. And uh, it, it's something that we feel like we do a world-class job of. Uh, we are a leader in this space and the quality of our customer base, our growth KPIs and the metrics that we've set forth and, and certainly put out there for the public to see, demonstrate that we've got some real tailwinds here that should set us up nicely to help customers out in the future. Great. And many of the major listed cybersecurity firms are focused largely on protecting their clients' internal systems, while ZeroFox's work has taken aim at clients' external customer-facing assets. Why do you think this is an overlooked portion of the market? I think this is an emerging area of the market. And the pace that it has matured over the last 24 months, COVID in particular, and what what it did for organizations that needed to adopt remote work capabilities and digital assets and accelerate their digital transformation strategies has been meaningful. I mean, it, is, it has been a, a vast change for those that had five and 10-year plans to become digital first organizations, got accelerated down into one to three-year plans. And so over the course of the last two decades, roughly speaking, you've seen risk postures to organizations where they focused on things like internal security, as you mentioned. And think of those as putting agents on devices. And there's a great market out there for it with some really interesting new innovator leaders. CrowdStrike and Sentinel One come to mind as being examples of some of those innovative leaders. Their market caps are doing well. They're dominating some of the players that have been in the space prior to them for years, like Symantec and McAfee. The point of view and the value they've offered customers are one that we will keep your devices safe from the bad guys. We will keep the bad things off of your devices and the things that you can own, manage and control will be safe and secure so that you can rest at night. There's a whole nother class of security providers out there that aren't working on the internal aspects of security like those guys. They're working on what I call edge. It's keeping the bad outside of the network. And those are the Palo Alto networks, the checkpoints, Fortinets, and, uh, and Zscalers of the world. And they've traditionally separated what I would call the in from out. But what's happened here over the last several years is the emergence of critical information systems and data, they have left the building. They've left the network, they've left the data center and they're in the cloud. And the things that companies are investing in as a part of their digital transformations are all by design beyond the perimeter. And that's where ZeroFox plays. We were started and founded in 2013. 
And over the last nine years, we have seen a drastic transformation in how businesses operate. We had the sole focus out of the gate to focus on external cybersecurity. And our market is, is now here. It's big. It's growing. We've got a, a multi-year effort here that we put forth towards this platform. And I think what we're seeing here is there's more attacks and more vulnerability from the external side of the house than there's ever been before. And we feel fortunate to be in the right place at the right time. Yeah, definitely. And you know, many cybersecurity firms, you, you work with both public and private clients. And, but I imagine the demands from the, from the other side, from the client side are quite different, whether it's you know, a government agency or uh, a public brand. Although kind of, as you were mentioning, just as we started here, I mean, there, there's so many of these things that have become common, no matter who you are in terms of the cybersecurity space and the risks you face and, and things like that. But how, how do, do those demands differ? And how does the process of even customer acquisition differ when you're dealing with what, whether it's a government or a or a private client? Nick, actually, uh, I think you'd be surprised on how similar they are. The sophistication of attacks going after government and public sector organizations today looks incredibly similar to those going after some of the, the higher value targets in enterprise, financial services, uh, all things digital. If you buy, sell, or transact in digital media today, you're a high value target because that's where that's where your revenue comes from. That's where your lifeblood of the business is. I mean, if you're in a, the manufacturing business, you're a prime target for ransomware, but, but there's no digital dollars to steal. Those who sell online, transact online, find their customers online, service online, you are the new crown jewel target for these sophisticated adversaries. Where you see differences in the groups of focus, right? There's a lot of, a lot of sophistication and maturity in general around Eastern Europe uh, and the kind of the, the disparate and decentralized cyber criminal organizations that have financial incentives. They go after organizations with a financial goal. They want money. The nation state actors that you hear about, the ones that are going after public sector organizations, in general, they want information. They want data. And so the end goal is very different, but the way to get there is the exact same find external assets that are unprotected, unbeknownst to those organizations, compromise one or two of them, take that wedge that you have and work your way inside the organization to further advance your goals and, and get to a target. And it's happening at a scale that the world's never experienced before. And it's happening with very little repudiation around the world too. People can do this without fear of retaliation. Yeah, and, and specifically on the, in the government side, I think it bears noting you, you have a $83 million per year contract with the Federal Office of Personnel Management, which forms a really mighty core for your overall revenues. And so kind of over time with that long-term contract, how have you leveraged the, the stability of that contract for expansion? And, and are you hedging at all against it not being renewed in the future? No, I, I wouldn't say we're hedging on it for, uh, for it not being renewed. Maybe the other way I would uh, think about that contract and that opportunity is, We've been fortunate enough to do a really nice job at executing and keeping that customer happy for lots of reasons. One, we treat all of our customers like they're our grandparents, right? We, we put extra effort, we take the calls and we make sure that our, our hearts and minds are aligned to making them successful. If our customers don't have successful outcomes and results, then we failed. And so fortunately, I think we've done a really nice job with that customer. And then second most, these type of customers, ones that provide critical services to uh, individuals and organizations or economies around the world, they're mission critical. It's a mission critical contract. We, we as an organization have made sure that the mission that we have supports this customer. And I think that's been recognized in the, in the results that we've seen here 
and executing this contract. Outside of that, there's a bona fide and a, a trade craft that comes with this. Nobody else can say they've executed at this scale for another customer for this duration for a contract like this in the United States and being called in to help with a breach that was perpetrated by China and serving that organization for over a half a decade now is a unique bona fide and capability set. And the experience that you get in actively protecting a persistent adversary like that uh, is unique. And I think it's created some differentiated capabilities for the organization that'll serve us for years to come. And the validation that came with a massive upsell on the contract, you know, a couple of years in. That's right. Yeah. Half a billion dollars uh, is, uh, is, is noteworthy for sure. Definitely. And as we briefly mentioned earlier, this deal also involves the acquisition of IDX. How does its customer base and tools complement what Zero Fox has already built? IDX is, is a world leader in external breach response. And so they've really focused their business on making sure they understand when an external breach has happened and on being able to understand the scope being understand the, the compliance requirements, notification, and then offer provide digital protection for those parties that were affected, whether those are customers or employees. We've been partners for several years. And so this, this very strategic acquisition for us has been one that's been incubating for quite some time. We've been integrated from a technology stack perspective for years. We've gone to market together. We've had field engagement. We've worked jointly on customers on behalf of furthering those customers' missions. Our approaches and capability sets are very complementary. I can provide proactive protection and inform my customers early to make sure that bad things don't happen. And IDX is there to get that first call when something bad does happen. And I think the combination of our two organizations allows us to offer a full suite of pre and post breach detection in the external space. And we believe that'll uh, create a unique value prop uh, for our customers in the future too. They want one back to pack and one throat to choke. So we look forward to that opportunity to get in our backpack. Probably an easier yeah. sell to once someone's <laughs> been actually breached and they're there for the remediation to the look on the go forward basis. So I mean, we think the synergies are pretty profound here to own this entire breach lifecycle. That's exactly right. And is IDX perhaps a model of the types of acquisitions that Zero Fox plans to make in the future? Or do you think you might prioritize customer acquisitions, technology, or other factions with further moves? Look, it's a model if you, if you look at the type of employees that come with IDX. The cultural similarities between the two organizations are just fantastic. Like Zero Fox, IDX prides itself on focusing on the customer and providing positive customer outcomes. They've got an inherent passion in their workforce where you could tell the difference between people that have to go to work every day and people that want to go to work every day. And so that is the foundational element that we look for that's very hard to find in any acquisition that we ever consider is what is the culture of that organization and is it similar to Zero Fox? Because ultimately the human capital, the people that we acquire will be our longest competitive advantage and our greatest competitive advantage. It's, the, it's not what have you built to date, it's what will we build together and how will we solve problems for customers together going forward. And so looking at it from that vein, it's exactly the type of company that we'll look for further acquisitions. Um, in terms of the other areas in which we'll continue to explore, I think it's always gonna be a combination of deeper or wider. We provide deeper capabilities for the solutions that we have today for our customers and the, the same type of customers we have, 
Or do we go wider? Do we look at new geographies, new industries, or expanding the capabilities of our, of our platform? And uh, there's always pros and cons for each. And it takes a special company to get past our, our high bar for acquisition candidate. Great. And for Adam, there are just so many different ways to evaluate software companies these days. And many want to be evaluated purely on their growth. You know, and ZeroFox has great growth projections, but at the same time, it also has very stable revenues set up already for itself. So, I mean, just how did you thread the needle between sort of the different factors at play there when, when you were assessing a, a value for ZeroFox? No, look, I, I think you actually nailed it on the head. I mean, it's a kind of unique combination of a lot of baked in growth, uh, given what they've done historically. I mean, the ZeroFox standalone is an 80 plus percent KGAR type business, but with the sort of security and consistency of what's coming online from IDX. And so there really is a lot of exciting combinations. And I think as a consequence, we could look to a lot of public market comps and it could come for the value we were paying. But I think the valuation that we ultimately came up with was a pretty meaningful discount to the peer set. And I think the reason we were able to achieve that discount from the other category champions in cyber and the high growth security peers and, and enterprise software more broadly is all of us collectively, we as, as sponsor and foster and team as executives and the legacy investors of ZeroFox and IDX, we're solely focused on the long-term, right? Everyone's rolling, Foster's maintaining a significant stake. We're investing in the underlying pipe, as are the insiders of ZeroFox and IDX. So from all of our perspective, it was really about facilitating this transformational M&A deal with IDX and getting growth capital to take the platform to the next level. And so it was a breath of fresh air, having talked to a lot of different targets, just how aligned Foster, me, and the broader team were and just thinking longer term about all of this. Yeah, and you touched upon it there, but I think we're going through different SPAC cycles every six months, it feels like these days. And, and I think a lot of the- it Feels like market... every six weeks. <laughs> yeah, perhaps, <laughs> perhaps every six days. Um, but many people, especially out in kind of retail that are not uh, you know, SPAC specific in their focus like we are, maybe not be as familiar that just how different some of the terms uh, of each SPAC transaction are and, and the different ways that sponsors are supporting the transaction and, and aligning themselves with it. So you, you touched upon it a bit there, but you go into some of the other ways that LNF is, is both supporting and, and aligning itself with this deal. Yeah, no, it's a great, great question. I do think a somewhat unique value proposition here in that LNF and our affiliates and Zero Fox Insiders, which include some of the leading venture capital and growth equity businesses out there, are committing to $50 million of the $170 million pipe. So you have meaningful insider participation, both from legacy insiders on the Zero Fox and IDX side and directly from the sponsor. And we, in turn, are also subjecting material portions of our founder shares to a price-based earnout. So really, it's just hammer home that point. Collectively, all of us are thinking, are thinking very long-term about this platform and what it can become in the public markets. I'll just double-click on one other thing here just to make sure that, that I get this on record. When we went looking for a SPAC partner, I think all of the economics that Adam just mentioned differentiated the firm, but the value that we'll get from this extends for many years beyond what will happen at the transaction table. And that post-transaction value was what I was looking for in a long-term partner. Adam and the team that he brought to the table was differentiated in quality of experience and, and desire to provide value. There are lots of opportunities out there, as you know, to find SPACs to potentially back a transaction. The quality of the personnel is one of those key differentiators, and I'm very happy with who we selected as a partner. They've proven to be the partner that I'd hope after we signed. And uh, 
I look forward to them proving it out again as we as we transact together and, and build this business into something uh, continually great in the years to come. And Foster, what are the advantages of being a public company that you're most excited to leverage moving forward? Look, I think there's a couple of advantages that we, we are planning to leverage after we transact. Uh, one is access to capital is different, right? The, the potential access to capital, the different types of capital that you can access as a public organization versus a private entity uh, is differentiated in and of itself. And that allows us to create what I would call an at-scale advantage over would-be competitors. Um, that's one of the areas that we'll continually leverage. And whether that's finding creative uses of capital to increase organic growth or creative uses of capital to apply towards an inorganic strategic acquisition or tuck-in. I think those are, uh, those are things that we're looking at. And then the other part, which I think uh, people get excited about, maybe more than they should, but I believe is a very real outcome, is you have the ability to to help leverage the brand awareness that comes with being a public organization uh, as, a, as a category champion. Our goal was never to be public at Zero Fox. Our goal was to become the category champion in external cybersecurity as anointed by our customers and their satisfaction levels. And if being public became a milestone that we needed to achieve in our journey on, on rec being recognized as category champion, so be it and the advantages that come with it. I think will be fun. It will be hopefully something that we could give back as a milestone for appreciation to our employees, our customers, and our partners. What I've heard from my peers is it doesn't get easier. I could tell you bigger companies are, are bigger challenges than smaller companies. And I think we are poised and ready, ready to tackle this challenge and this milestone head on. Great. And cybersecurity seems like such a fast moving space, especially right now. Do you have any hints as to what the next big thing in the sector will be? I think what we're expecting in the cyber world right now is uh, increased activity from nation state actors under the guise that it could be response to, to symmetric warfare. Um, and so right now what we're seeing is the world of cyber has this uh, approach to it right now where you can just throw up your arms and say, that wasn't me. And even if somebody has digital evidence, the arbiter of that evidence becomes media, quite frankly, versus international law or, or some sort of agreed upon best practices retaliation. Those playbooks and rule books have not been written. I think you'll see increased international activity across the board, uh, and it'll, it'll realize itself in public sector organizations, big business, and, and small business as well. Anything that could uh, distract or disrupt target organizations and countries around the world. We are prepping our customers and making sure that they have response capabilities in place for attacks. And I think that that will happen across small businesses, big businesses, and public sector organizations. Um, you know, unfortunately, rarely is cyber warfare targets, are they picky? And uh, they could certainly be focused on a, a broad swath of organizations. So we're, we're trying to help proactively where we can. Great. And Adam, uh, can you just give us a, a quick update in terms of what the, the timeline of the transaction is looking like from this standpoint? Sure. Well, our proxy has been filed and uh, we're working through SEC comments and the process more broadly so we can aim to have 
our shareholder vote and a successful close this summer. Well, you know, it, it's not often that we can say when talking about a company in the market that it's a scary time, but honestly, this is a, a situation where it is a scary time and that's it's a reason why Zero Fox is really a company that needs eyes on it. And I'm gonna be very interested to continue following how your transaction goes and how Zero Fox continues to grow because it's clearly in, in a sector of need and it's clearly in a sector where there's cutting edge needs that are gonna, only gonna continue to grow. So Foster and Adam, thanks so much for being on. Thanks, Marlene. It was our pleasure. Thanks for the time yeah. today. Thanks for having us.